All right, everyone, thank you so much for coming to this seminar. Uh, the Three Angels Messages, The Purpose. We're all really excited that you get to be here with us. And uh, Mr. Frank Fournier, I think I'm saying that right, hopefully. Um, so we're super excited that you're here with us and we can't wait to hear your message. And um, to all you out there who are, who are viewing, um, feel free to leave questions in the chat box because at the end, the last 15 minutes of the seminar, there's going to be a Q&A. So if you have a question that comes up when you're listening to this, this seminar, please drop it in the chat box and we'll make sure we answer all those questions for you guys. Um, and we are so excited. So I'm going to hand things over to Mr. Fournier here. Okay, well, good morning and thank you very much, Christy. I appreciate the introduction. And I'm happy that uh, I'm speaking to a group out there, which I cannot see, um, uh, which is okay. I believe you're there. I'm, I'm operating by faith. And I'm hoping that there can be a, a blessing to you this morning. Uh, why don't we begin with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, this is an important message. This is an important topic. And we need you. We need you to be the guide in our study. We ask that you would make everything go smoothly, and not only that, but that you would impact our heart with the truth. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, we're studying the three angels' messages here. And this morning, I've been asked to speak on the three angels' messages and its purpose, the purpose behind the three angels' um, mes messages. Now, uh, as you probably have already been told, you'll be polled. There'll be some polling going on and people are going to send you some questions or yes, questions. And so I'm going to already indicate that poll number one is going out right now. Now, in order to begin our little study, I'm going to begin with some questions of my own here. Um, are the three angels messages important? Now, I know that you understand that there isn't anything in the Bible that's not important. So for sure, that's important. But here's the real question. Uh, how important are the three angels' messages? Why are they important? What about the three angels' messages that is so important that uh, we as a Seventh-day Adventist are so focused on the three angels' messages? Now, I understand that if we all study uh, the, if we've all studied the three angels' messages, we know that the first angel's message is, is the proclaiming of the everlasting gospel. Now, can there be anything more important than that? I don't think so. Nevertheless, hey, we need to ask the question. The second angel's message is an, ex an exposing of the deceptions that come from Babylon. And the third angel's message is a warning for us not to receive the mark of the beast. Now, of course, all of that is true. There's no doubt about it. But still, the question remains, what is the purpose behind the first and second and third angels' messages? And I know, I know, you're going to understand, hey, after all, our salvation is wrapped up in all that is said in the scriptures. And we need to warn people who are unaware. And, and in and through all of this, uh, God is to be glorified. All of that, too is true. But isn't that what the whole Bible is tasked with? Of course it is. So why, and here's the big question now, why is it that Seventh-day Adventists emphasize the three angels' messages as much as we do? 
That's really the question that needs to be answered right here. Why is it that as Seventh-day Adventists, we emphasize the three angels' messages as much as we do? What is it that's so important with the three angels' messages? Let me share with you a quotation here from the Pen of Inspiration. This is volume nine, page 19, paragraph one. In a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them have been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. They have been given a work of the most solemn import, it says, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angel's messages. Now watch. There's no other work of so great importance. They, that is Seventh-day Adventists, are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. Now, can you imagine that? I can hardly imagine. How is it that's telling us we should not allow anything else to absorb our attention? After all, supposing you're a surgeon, I wouldn't want you to not focus on your surgery, even if you're a carpenter or a plumber or anything else for that matter. I think that this is not telling us not to focus on the things that we have to do in this world, but it is telling us that we need to do everything we do in the light of the three angels' messages. Now, if you're married, you may understand that a little bit better than some. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 51 years. Now, some of you may know that during those 51 years, my wife spent 10 of those years in Africa founding a small ministry there. Well, while at the same time, I was in America as the president of a ministry. And so obviously we couldn't be together. Now we did manage to spend about five months out of every year together. And sometimes we spent a whole year apart without seeing each other. But in and through all of that, I didn't do anything that was not in, in relation to my wife. I didn't make any decisions because my wife, in spite of the fact that she was not by my side, was by my side. Uh, not in person, but she was there in reality, and I made no decisions. I didn't quit my job. I didn't buy a new car. I didn't go on a vacation. I didn't do anything. But what I did, I did in relationship to my wife. So this is the same thing. It's the same thing as being a Christian. You and I are Seventh-day Adventist Christians. I've been a Seventh-day Adventist Christian for 45 years. And you know, there isn't anything that I do that is not in relation to Jesus Christ. There's no decision that I make that Jesus Christ doesn't come to my side and remind me that what I am about to do will have an impact on our relationship together. And so this is what it is with the three angels' messages. We ought to have the three angels' messages in our mind, in our view, as an influence upon all our movements, upon all our decisions. Um, now, let me see. I had to print my, my, my talk this morning. I usually talk right straight from my computer. But when I did, I found out that some of the things that I printed <laughs> didn't come out very well because I had used color and some colors just don't show up very well. Now, I hope that what I'm saying here this morning is making sense to you. Now, I would, um, I would encourage the second poll to go out at this time. Okay, you know, what I just said will not make sense to everyone. It won't make sense to people who have never studied the three angels' messages. They don't know what I am talking about. 
Five years ago, when I was president of ASI, I had a secretary treasurer. His name was Kyle Allen. He uh, needed to go to Western Europe to have some meetings with church officials there and other people. And so there were there um, officials from the divisions and from the unions, from the conferences and other people besides, besides ASI was represented. And during the time that they had these meetings, uh, an official from the church stood up and said, I really don't know what the three angels' messages have to do with the Seventh-day Adventist identity. Now, when he said that, um, to hear Kyle say it, his jaw nearly hit the floor. He couldn't believe what he was saying. Now, friends, really, I don't know that I can blame a man for not knowing something, but he had to wonder why it is that the three angels' messages play such a role among us as a church, don't you think? I mean, after all, we have marquees outside of the church and the three angels' messages sometimes are there. And on the walls of our church, outside and inside, we put the three angels' messages and on our bulletins and on our books and on our magazines, they're everywhere. There must be a reason for all that, don't you think? Yeah. Well, I would like to encourage you this morning to be careful. Be careful not to be critical of our leadership. Um, because if I was to ask you to come up here and to explain to the audience just exactly what it is that the three angels' messages have to do with our identity, could you do it? You know, I have a huge fear in my heart. Apparently, we are 21 million Seventh-day Adventists in this world. I don't know if the number is correct or not, I just wonder how many of the 21 million Seventh-day Adventists out there in this world actually know what the three angels' messages are all about. I would guess that the number is relatively small, way smaller than, than I would expect. Or, well, maybe I am expecting it. I don't know. But I think that we are, if we understood the three angels' messages, surely we would relate to them better than we do. In the book, early writings, we're on page 258, listen to this. I was shown three steps, the first, second, and, three, and third angel's messages, said my accompanying angel, woe to him that shall move a block or stir a pin of these messages. The true understanding of these messages is of vital importance. What does vital mean? Well, friends, it means it's necessary to our existence. It's critically important. Two years ago, I lost my appendix in Kazakhstan. Now, here I am two years later, and I'm as healthy, I think, as probably I was before I went to Kazakhstan. And so as important as an appendix is, it's not vital to my existence, obviously, because I don't have one. And I lost my, my, my tonsils when I was just a toddler. And I have, I'm alive now, and I'm 72 years old. That is not vitally important to my existence, but my heart is. And I assume that if you took my heart out, that uh, I wouldn't last very long, don't you think? Well, this is what it is with the three angels' messages. The three angels' messages is the heart that pumps life into Seventh-day Adventists. This is what we, we need to realize. Now, the rest of the quotation goes like this. Um, the destiny of souls hangs upon the manner in which they have been received. The three angels' messages. Did you catch that? 
the destiny of souls hangs upon the manner in which the three angels' messages are received. Well, friends, we can't receive them as they should be received if we don't understand how important they are. And we will never understand how important they are if we've never looked into it, if, if we've never asked the questions um, that we need to understand, that we need to ask. Now, all of that was introduction. I hope uh, that by now that you have an interest in what it is that the three angels' messages mean to us. But now I would like to develop this thing, if you don't mind. Um, I would like to have you turn with me to Revelation chapter 6. In Revelation chapter 6, I'm going to try to whet your appetite. Now, you might think that the verses we're about to read are a little bit strange, that they have very little to do with uh, our topic. And it's true, they don't have very much to do with our topic, but I'm using them as a springboard to what Ellen White has to say as a comment on, on these uh, verses. And you'll see how important it is in a few minutes. So we're in Revelation chapter six. We're looking at verses nine to 11. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, oh, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our, avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said to them that they should rest yet a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Now, obviously, we've read these verses, and they're important, nevertheless, in their context, but here's what makes it super important to us this morning. And it's a quotation coming from the pen of Ellen White. This is seven Bible commentaries, 968, paragraph four. When the fifth seal was open, John the Revelator in vision saw beneath the altar the company that were slain for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, the spirit of prophecy. Now notice the next words, after this, after what? Well, after the fifth seal was read or written, after this came the scenes described in the 18th of Revelation, when those who are faithful and true are called out of Babylon. And then Ellen White writes out Revelation 18 verses 1 to 5. To five. Now, I don't know about you, but don't you think there's something a little bit strange here? After the fifth seal is open, then comes Revelation chapter 18 as if that was its natural sequence. Well, friends, if this is the natural sequence, the fifth seal and then Revelation 18, then obviously in the natural sequence, the next seal should be about the second coming of Jesus, which of course it is. And so we're in um, Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 to 17. Now we could read the whole thing from verse 12, but we're not. We're just going to read verses 15 to 17. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who shall be able to stand? And so what is this all about? Well, obviously it's about the second coming 
of Jesus. So now I have a question for you. What about chapters, Revelation chapters 7 to 17? What are these there for? I mean, is it possible that perhaps the Revelation chapter 7 to 17 were never would have been needed if Jesus had come when he intended to come? Now, friends, don't, don't go too far with this because I don't believe that that's true either. But here we find an amazing coincidence, I think. Now, you realize, of course, that there, there's no chapter division, right, in, in the Bible. And so that Revelation chapter 6 runs right into Revelation chapter 7 in a natural sequence. And so let's go to Revelation chapter 7, and we're looking at verse 1 in Revelation chapter 7. And bear in mind, we saw the fifth seal go straight to Revelation 18, then the sixth seal, which is about the second coming, and now straight into Revelation chapter 7, what does it have to do in context? Verse 1. After these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that winds should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And the question that I usually ask when I read this verse is this. What, God sends four angels now. What did he send the four angels to do? Now, usually, and I'm sorry that I can't speak with you, um, that at least I can't hear from you. Uh, usually, the answer is he sent the four angels to keep the four winds of strife from blowing upon the earth and the sea. Well, friends, let me tell you right now, this is not true. This is not what God sent the four angels to do. As a matter of fact, that's what the four angels end up doing, but that's not why they were sent. As a matter of fact, they were sent to hurt the earth and the sea. You can see that in verse 2, right? Jesus is coming, and he's coming with angels. And when Jesus comes, there's going to be utter destruction of all the earth. The, the angels are with him to see to it that that's what happens. But there's a problem, because when Jesus gets here, or, or is on his way here, he finally realizes that there is a problem. And what is the problem? Something is wrong. What is wrong? We can see it in verse 2 to 4. So let's read Revelation chapter 7, verses 2 to 4. And I saw another angel ascending from the east. Bear, uh, keep that in mind now, an angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and cried to the with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, don't hurt the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in our foreheads. And then, of course, are enumerated the people who will be sealed, and that's 144,000. And then all of a sudden we realize that the people of God, who will consist of the 144,000, are not ready for Jesus to come. There's a parallel passage to all of this in Ezekiel chapter 9. I'm sure you know that. In Ezekiel chapter 9, there are six men with destroying weapons in their hands sent from God to the temple of God. And there's one of these men who has a writer's inkhorn in his hand, and he's dressed in linen, which in my mind represents Jesus Christ. Okay, and so he is told to go about and put a mark 
a seal, if you don't, if you don't mind, a seal on the foreheads of those who sigh and cry for the abominations that are done in the land, for the abominations that are done in the church, for the abomination in, in the lives of sinful people. Yeah, that's what we see there. And anyway, let me go on. And there's some things I have a hard time seeing. Does, does the three angels' messages have anything to do with Revelation chapter 7 and Ezekiel chapter 9? That's the question. And the answer is yes, it does. Who do you think the angel from the east is that we saw in verse 2? Well, I can tell you in early writings, page 118, listen carefully. I then saw the third angel. Did you catch that? Said my accompanying angel, fearful is his work, awful is his mission. He is the angel that is to select the wheat from the tares and seal or bind the wheat for the heavenly garner. These things should engross the whole mind and the whole attention. Friends, why should these things engross the whole mind and the whole attention? Why should we allow nothing else to absorb our attention like we read earlier? Well, according to the context, obviously, is because if we don't, everything is on hold. This is where the log jam is. This is why Jesus has not come up until this point. Not only are the winds being held, the winds of strife being held by these four angels, but the loud cry can't, the loud cry warning can't be given. The close of probation is being held up. The time of trouble can't come. The seven last plagues cannot fall. The battle of Armageddon can't be fought. And obviously then the second coming of Jesus is delayed. Ah, friends, forgive me. I don't want to be critical here, but as a church, we have failed to buy into what Jesus is doing in the most holy place of the sanctuary. We haven't realized the importance of the three angels' messages of Revelation chapter 14, that they were sent to seal the 144,000 to ripen the Christian harvest. That's why they were sent to finish this job. And friends, when those who are sealed are finally sealed, then Revelation chapter 18, verse 1 happens. The whole world is enlightened with the glory of God's character. The last demonstration is made that needs to be made, a demonstration that has never been made in this world. And so that 144,000 literal is symbolic, I do not know. And it doesn't matter whoever they are, they will reveal Jesus Christ all over this world. There's going to be such a, such a revival of primitive godliness such as the world has never seen since apostolic times were told. Yes, and they're going to sound the last warning to a world that needs to hear the last warning. What a blessing it's all going to be, for sure. In the end, what we need to realize is that you and I have failed God. Now, if I was to ask you, where are we going to find in the Bible where in the last days, God's people are failing God. Well, it's obvious. And again, you can't speak to me, so I wish you could. By the way, um, if you have any questions, you can send them by chat. And we're going to be discussing some of these questions at the end of this, of this talk. Okay. Um, 
Where do we find that God's people are in trouble in the last days? Well, obviously, it's in Revelation chapter 3. And I, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter, chapter 3. There the Bible says, the true witness says, that we are neither hot nor cold, that we are lukewarm. We've got one foot in the world. We've got one foot in the church. We don't want to leave the world because there's so many exciting things going on in the world, nor do we want to leave the church because we don't want to be lost. But the impact of all that, of course, is that God's people are lukewarm. And why is that so? Well, verse 17 makes it very clear why that is so. If you read with me, verse 17. Because you say, now remember, Jesus is speaking to Seventh-day Adventists here. Because you say, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Can you imagine someone who can say they have need of nothing? That we've come in our Christian experience to the place where we don't have need of Jesus? That doesn't make any sense at all. In Desire of Ages, page 300, it says this, from the soul that feels his need, nothing is withheld. From the soul that feels his need, nothing is withheld. And yet Jesus is saying very plainly to us that in the last days, the Christianity at the end of time is in a position where it thinks so highly of its own Christian experience that it has, it feels need of nothing. It's amazing. Desire of Ages, page 317. Our great need is our only claim to God's mercy. How many other claims are there? There's only one, apparently. And what is it? We're, you know, when we get to the, the judgment bar of God, it won't help us to present before God all of our sacrifices and all of our ministries and all of our high standards and all of these things. Because, friends, this is not what Jesus is looking to hear. When we get to the judgment bar of God, I think it will be wise for us to present our great need because it says our great need is our only claim. There is no other claim. The only difference between the lost and those who are saved is that the lost don't feel their need and the saved do feel their need of help from Jesus Christ, for sure. Um, interestingly enough, just um, two days ago, maybe yesterday, I don't know, I am going through the book Great Controversy in my devotional time. And I read this, this is Great Controversy, page 253, that's 253, uh, paragraph three. This is about Charles Wesley. Um, let me read. When Charles Wesley at one time fell ill and anticipated that death was approaching, he was asked upon what he rested his hope of eternal life. And his answer was, now put yourself in the picture here, okay? If you were dying and somebody asked you on what do you rest your hope, what would you say? Well, here's what John, I mean, Charles Wesley said. I have used my best endeavors to serve God. Now, according to Ellen White, goes on to say, as the friend who had put the question seemed not to be fully satisfied with his answer, Wesley thought, what? Are not my endeavors a sufficient ground for hope? Would he rob me of my endeavors? I have nothing else in which to trust. Really? 
Mm. She goes on to say, such was the dense darkness that had settled down on the church, hiding the atonement, robbing Christ of his glory. What was Charles Wesley doing at this point? He was hiding Christ of his glory. Hiding, wow, I can't understand. Have you ever wondered in your own Christian experience if you will be saved eternally? The thought occurs to my mind every now and again. How does your mind resolve that issue? Do you think of your life of service, of your life of sacrifice for God, your high standards? Do you rob God of his glory? Do you know that there is no other way into the kingdom of God but by his righteousness? There's no other way but through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Oh, friends, I would not discourage you from being a, 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 a missionary or for having a high standards. All of these things help us to be true witness in this world. Jesus needs high standards. He needs missionaries. He needs us to perfect character. But friends, in all of this, we will not find our own salvation, not at all. Again, in Testimonies to Ministers, page 519, our need is the qualification which gives us the assurance that we shall receive the gift. Our need is the qualification. It's the ticket, friends, and it's also the fitness to, to fit us to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We really do. A couple of weeks ago, I was at Walmart, about 20 miles from here, from my home, and uh, I dropped my wallet in the parking lot. I didn't know that I had dropped it, of course. I went into the store, began shopping, and halfway through my shopping, I, I reached to touch my wallet, and it wasn't there. Uh, I don't know if you had the feeling, but it was terrible. And then I thought, well, maybe I didn't have my wallet with me. Maybe I left it at home. So I jumped into my car. I drove 20 miles home and I searched my house, no wallet. And I realized that I had these crazy masks we're supposed to, to read. And I had put my wallet on top of my mask in my back pocket. And when I pulled the mask out, I inadvertently pulled my wallet out and it fell down in the parking lot. How do you think I felt? Oh, I called Walmart. Well, before I called Walmart, I got on my knees and let me tell you something. Do you know what it's like to agonize with God? In my wallet is my driver's license, it's my green card, it's my um, uh, credit cards, it's my social security and all my passwords for all of those crazy things on the internet are in there in my wallet. If I should lose this wallet, I would lose everything, it seems to me. And, and I, I want to tell you that my prayer was sincere. My prayer was agonizing. This is what it was because I really needed, I just petitioned God. He, he had to hear my prayer. I just remember telling him, hey, listen, you've made promises and now I'm in dire straits. I'm in awful trouble if, if I lose my wallet. You must find my wallet. You've promised you are God. You know where it is. And I just pled with God. Well, I made my way to Walmart and I went to customer service. And to make a long story short, 
they had my wallet. The point of all this is, friends, you and I need to be sealed with the seal of the living God. And this is the purpose of the three angels' message. It's the third angel's message. It's the third angel which incorporates the first angel and the second angel and the third angel. All of it is incorporated there, and they are the sealing angel. I hope, I hope you can recognize that for sure. Okay. Why, the, why does the true witness say we feel a need of nothing? Well, because... Because, friends, listen, we're not close enough to Jesus to feel our sinfulness. In the book Steps to Christ, page 64, it says, The closer you come to Jesus, the more faulty you will appear in your own eyes. For your vision will be clearer, your imperfections will be seen in broad and distinct contrast to his perfect nature. The closer we come to nature, the more our uh, excuse me, the closer we come to perfection, the more our imperfections are revealed. And that's when we come to feel our real need. And so when the, when the Laodicean message says we, have, we feel a need of nothing, then obviously we are not as close to Jesus as we should be. That is why we feel spiritually rich and in need of nothing. But friends, that Laodicean message says it very clearly. If we're still in Revelation chapter 3, look at verse 20, what it says there. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Now tell me, where is Jesus in this verse? Is he inside of our hearts or outside of our hearts? Well, we, obviously we can tell he's outside. And this is speaking to the last day church, Christianity in the last days. And where is Jesus? He's outside knocking for entrance. We're not as close to Jesus as we think we are. Oh, somebody says, but Jesus is in my heart. Is he really? It's not what it says here. And I believe the true witness, what he said. Can you see the issue is not that we are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The issue is that we don't know it. We don't know it. We think we are rich and increased with good and need of nothing. And I often say to many people, the only difference between the lost and the saved is not that the lost are poor, blind, and naked, that the saved are spiritually rich. No, no. The only difference is that the saved know that they are poor, blind, and naked, and the lost don't realize it. And if we think we are wonderful people, then we are not close enough to Jesus to feel our fault. In the end, the issue is righteousness by faith in Christ, as opposed to faith in ourselves for righteousness. So I have a question for you now. When we talk about righteousness by faith, whose righteousness are we talking about? Well, I know we're talking about the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When we think ourselves spiritually rich, where is our focus? Really, friends, the focus is ourselves. Did Jesus ever say, blessed are the righteous, for theirs is the kingdom of God? No. 
Jesus never said that. No, if I was Jesus, that's what I would have said. It seems to me to make perfect sense, doesn't it? Blessed are the righteous, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But Jesus never said that. Do you know what he said? Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, why didn't he say blessed are the righteous? Because, friends, there aren't any. There is none righteous, no, not one. All of our righteousnesses are filthy rags. That's what the Bible says. So no matter how righteous we become, we still come short of the glory of God, and we come short of his righteousness. Therefore, there is no entrance for us into the kingdom of heaven because we are righteous. There is an entrance for us in the kingdom of heaven through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Blessed are they who hunger and hunger and hunger. And there will never come a time when you and I will not hunger for righteousness. And if there does come a time when you and I are not hungering for righteousness, then something has gone wrong because we will never be as righteous as God is, as Jesus is. Lord, help us that we are not satisfied with this kind of deception for sure. So here it is in any case. When we understand the three angels' messages, when we receive the three angels' messages, when we internalize the three angels' messages, we will be sealed with the seal of the living God. The three angels' messages are the sealing angel of Revelation chapter 14. And friends, they will transform the lukewarm into the 144,000. And the three angels' messages say this, that... When they're done their work, the name of God will be written in our foreheads. They're going to put a new song on our lips. They're going to keep us from the corruption of false doctrines. We're going to follow the lamb whithersoever he goes. There's going to be no guile in our mouth. We're going to stand before God faultless. It says that in Revelation chapter 14. And besides that, it's going to leave us sighing and crying for the abomination that is done in the land, in the church, and in our own lives. And the spirit of prophecy says that when we are sealed, we will be settled into all truth intellectually and spiritually so that we cannot be moved. And that tells me then, of course, that, um, what am I trying to say? That we will be ready for the close of probation. That's, that's what it is for sure. Well, here we go. I'd like to invite you to turn with me for, to John chapter six. Now listen, I have been sharing with you that we're supposed to be doing some polling here. I would like to encourage someone to send forth the third poll. And um, I'm looking at my notes to see because I had put them in the wrong color and I'm afraid. Anyways, I don't know, but just go ahead and send the third poll at this time. Okay. So far, we've learned that the three angels of Revelation chapter 14 are the sealing angels. But be careful now. This is not the whole picture, okay? Angels were never really tasked with sealing God's people. As a matter of fact, angels, as we study them in the book of Revelation, are symbolic of messengers. And of course, it isn't the messengers that are going to seal people, but the messages that are sent by God that sealed the people. You and I are the angels, aren't we? Listen to 7 BC, 
979, paragraph zero. These angels represent those who receive the truth. That's us, right? And with power, open the gospel to the world. Friends, you and I are the angels. And so obviously, we don't seal ourselves. But we have a message. We have a message to give. But listen, we can't give what we've never received. In, uh, go with me to John chapter 6. I had you turn there. I should have turned there myself. John chapter 6. And we're looking at verse 63. And I want you to see something very important here. John 6, verse 63. This is... Okay, Jesus speaking says, It is the spirit that quickens. It is the spirit that makes alive. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak, in other words, the messages that I send unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now, we have angels. Uh, that uh, are in the three angels' messages. We have messages in the three angels' messages. And now included in all of that is the Holy Spirit involved in the sealing. So go with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And that includes the Holy Spirit in the work of the sealing. So the angels, the messages... And now the Holy Spirit, verse 13, talking about Jesus to begin with, in Jesus, in whom it says, but in Jesus ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Did you catch that? It's the Holy Spirit. It is God, the third person that does the sealing through the three angels' messages. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're looking at verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're looking at verse 30. The Apostle Paul admonishing us here, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now I want to, ask, I want to add one more um, element to all of this. And by the way, I'd like to have you go to poll chapter 4 and poll chapter 5. Just let them both go. Um, the color I had, I had for the word poll here in my notes is so light that I can't see it. So I'm actually a little bit behind. But go ahead, send the polls, have the people um, respond to them. Now, I want to add to the fact that the ceiling comes through angels, messages, the Holy Spirit, one more element needs to be brought into this thing, and that, of course, is the latter rain, the, the, the aspect of prayer for the latter rain. Go with me to Zechariah chapter 10. Zechariah chapter 10. This is in the Old Testament. This is the second from the last book in the Old Testament. We're in chapter 10, and we're looking at verse 1 in Zechariah. Ask ye the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. In the book, Testimonies to Ministers, page 508, paragraph 1, do not rest satisfied that in the ordinary course of, of the season rain will fall. Ask for it. 
The growth and perfection of the seed rests not upon the husbandman or the farmer. God alone can ripen the harvest. Now, what is the latter rain for? It's to ripen the harvest. And, and obviously, the harvest is God's people on, on, on the side of the saved, and they need to be ripened. And that is, a, that is pictured, this is picturing the 144,000 being matured fully as Christians so that they reflect the image of Jesus fully. And so the Holy Spirit is poured out with, the, with and by the three angels' messages. This has the effect of settling God's people, both intellectually and spiritually, into the truth so that they cannot be moved. And then, of course, comes Revelation chapter 18, verses 1 to 5, when the whole world is lightened with the glory of God. And when the final warning is given out into the world, come out of Babylon, my people. What a time this is going to be. And this is what uh, we have to experience. You and I, this is the thing that we want. And so, three angels, messages, the Holy Spirit, and earnest, agonizing prayer that the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon us in latter rain power so that all of this can happen. So that all of this, I hope you can see, is the purpose behind the three angels' messages. Is it important? Uh, friends, I don't think that anything can be impo more important than this. I really, really don't think that anything can be more important than this. What I'm going to do now, um, maybe a bit of a, a little different in any case, I am, I'm going to turn to the book Early Writings, page 269. In the book Early Writings, page 269, is a chapter called The Shaking. I had a preacher friend, a very, very important man in his day, who used to say, there is one chapter in the spirit of prophecy that needs to be studied on our knees. And it's this very chapter, early writings, chapter page 269, um, uh, the topic being the shaking. Now I want you to see that it's going to give us the sequence of events here in a way that makes it very, very understandable. And uh, so let's get right into it. Early Writings 269, paragraph one. I saw some with strong faith and agonizing cries pleading with God. So I want you to know that in this chapter of Early Writings, two groups of people are pictured, but both groups are Seventh-day Adventists. And also that which you need to understand is that, is that this is all future from today. This is a prophecy. This isn't, hasn't happened yet. Uh, because this is future. We are not sealed with the seal of the living God yet in our foreheads as we should be. And this is what all of this is pointing to. So here we find one group pleading with God, agonizing cries with God. And then she goes on to describe what they look like. She says their faces, this is on page 269, their faces are pale, marked with deep anxiety, large drops of perspiration fall from their foreheads, which gives you a picture of Gethsemane. So there's going to be a Gethsemane experience in, uh, for us in the, in the near future, I believe. And we're going to want something more than we've ever wanted it before. That's what they're pleading for right now. And then she goes on to say, it is because of an internal struggle. These people are struggling with something in their own hearts. What do you suppose it is? 
Well, friends, I can only conjecture at this point, I can only guess that they are struggling because they have come to realize that they are not sealed with the seal of the living God. So in paragraph two, early writings 269, she says, evil angels crowded around these people trying to shut Jesus out from their, from their view, of course. Why? Because the only help we have is in Jesus Christ. We're going to come to the place in this world, uh, let us see, Desire of Ages, page 121, every earthly support will be cut off. We're going to come to the place, friends, when the only hope we have is faith in Jesus Christ. And so what are the evil angels going to do? They're going to do the best they can to shut up Jesus from our view, of course. On page 270, the first paragraph, early writings, it says, some did not participate in agonizing and pleading with God. Why not? Well, she tells us why not. They were indifferent and careless. That's what it says. Well, friends, they were Laodicean. They were lukewarm. They were neither hot nor cold. Everything was okay. They felt the need of nothing. They were rich and increased with good and need of nothing. Everything was all right. What's everybody getting excited about? And so they don't understand. Do you know what happened? The next phrase, we're still in paragraph uh, one of 270, early writings. Angels came to the help of the agonizing, praying ones because they tried to help themselves by calling upon God with perseverance. How are they helping themselves? By calling upon God with perseverance. Ah, friends, how important is that, do you think? It's all important. Make prayer a part of your life, but not just make prayer a part of your life. We've got to come to realize where we're at, how we failed. Do you know that it's been 176 years since Jesus entered into the most holy place of the sanctuary? Do you know what he had in mind to do going there? He was to cleanse the sanctuary, it says in Daniel chapter 8, verse 14. How? By cleansing to for himself, by purifying for himself a people. And you can read all about that in Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. This is what that's all about. And so he blessed this people. Seventh-day Adventist, he raised Seventh-day Adventists up, and he blessed us with every gift that you can you can imagine the first one being the spirit of prophecy the second one was for 10 years he gave us our our distinctive doctrines then in 1855 and 56 we learned about our laodicean condition in 1860 we organized as a church in 1863 we were given a health message ah oh, what a blessing the health message has been and is being today in 1867, our first sanitarium was established. In the, in the 1870s, we were given light on true education. And then, of course, in 1888 came light on the everlasting gospel, the explanation of the everlasting gospel. And with all of that, if we had received all of that and not rejected any of it, we would have been sealed with the seal of the living God. But unfortunately, we're still here. And this year is the year 2020, isn't it? Way, way too long. Jesus would have come long ere this, for sure. Now, poll number, um, number six should be sent at this point. Now, let me diverge a little bit. We're in the book Early Writings on page 270. There's a little section here that I want to read to you. But um, 
Uh, I'm going to save it for the end. I'm going to go past this and uh, you and I are going to study together up until I get to share with you what this is all about. So now I skip to page 271, early writing. The attending angel asked Ellen White to listen. And so as Ellen White was listening, she, it's, she says that she heard music sung in perfect harmony. And the attendant angel also said, I want you to look, look what you see. And what did she see? She saw God's people marching in perfect order like a company of soldiers. And then notice what she says, they had obtained the victory. You remember those people who were agonizing at the beginning, strong cries and earnest faith and great drops of perspiration falling from their heads. They had obtained the victory. In other words, they were sealed with the sealing of the living God. The, 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 the character of God was imprinted on their frontal lobe. They sang a new song from here on out. They were not corrupted with false doctrines of other churches. They followed the lamb whithersoever he would go. They had no guile in their mouth. They were faultless before the throne of God. And of course, they were settled into the truth so that now probation can close and they are forever saved. He that is righteous, let him be a righteous, righteous still. This is what this was all about. Unfortunately, Still on page 271, and we're looking at verse, I mean, paragraph one, it says, the careless who did not join with those who prized the victory and salvation did not obtain it. Did they know that they were, they were not saved? Oh, no. They thought they were rich and increased with good, in need of nothing. They didn't know. They thought everything was all right. Can you imagine coming up in the, resurrection, the final resurrection, a thousand years from now, only to find out that you're in the wrong resurrection. What do you think these people are going to feel? 271 early writings, paragraph two. I asked, what made the great change? Something obviously happened. Uh, we've been going on since 1844 as a, as a church being a denomination and growing and growing and everything is fine, we, we seem to think, until someday we wake up and all of a sudden we realize we're not sealed, we're not sealed. And then the question is, I ask, what made the great change? And the angel answered, it is the latter rain, the refreshing from the presence of the Lord, the loud cry of the third angel. How did they get to that point? Ah, friends, listen, listen. They came to feel their need. They came to the point where they felt their poverty, their blindness, and their spiritual nakedness, and they turned to the Lord with agonizing cries. Lord, don't leave us in this situation. Please don't leave us in this situation. Then, friends, here's the part that I left out of... Um, page 270, early writing. It says that the agonizing ones received the counsel of the true witness. Do you know what the counsel of the true witness is? That's Revelation chapter three, verse 18 and 19. Buy of me gold tried in the fire, faith and love. Buy of me raiment, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Buy of me uh, ISAB that I might discern 
right from wrong. And then it says, repent. Please repent, Jesus is crying, because you're outside when, I, I'm outside of your heart when I ought to be inside. And then it, we're told on that, in that paragraph that these people who received the, the uh, Laodicean Council, the Council of the True Witness, they poured forth the straight truth. That's what it says. But the indifferent ones, of course, uh, resisted the straight truth. They rejected the straight truth. And this caused a huge shaking in the church, we're told. And, and so there was a separation here happening between the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, the gold and the groth and the, and the dross, the true and the false, the saved and the lost. Paragraph three. Now, watch carefully. I saw that the testimony of the true witness has not been half heeded. The solemn testimony upon which the destiny of the church depends has been lightly esteemed, if not entirely disregarded. The destiny of the church hangs right there. That's what it says upon the reception of the council of the true witness, Revelation chapter three, verse 18 and 19. And we read earlier together, and let me read it to you again, early writings 258. I was shown three steps. The first, second, and third angel's messages said my accompanying angel, woe well, unto him who shall move a block or stir a pin of these messages. The true understanding of these messages is of vital importance. On it hangs the destiny of the church upon the manner in which they are received. Can you see? Our destiny hangs upon the three angels' messages, how it is received. Our destiny hangs upon our receiving the counsel of the true witness in Revelation chapter 3. Ah, friends, how is it with you? What is the purpose of the three angels' messages? It is to seal with the seal of the living God in our foreheads, the 144,000. That's God's people. That's God's people who are meant to go out into the world to enlighten the whole world with the glory of God's character. Well, obviously, the character of God is not in us as it should be, as it's going to be. That's what the three angels' messages are all about. This is what God is trying to do. Isn't that fantastic? Ah, friends, it is. And if we understood it, then I believe we would learn to agonize as we should agonize for the thing that God wants to do for us. God bless you all. Now at this time, I'm gonna pass it over to Christy, I think. And um, we've got some questions coming up. Hi, yes. Thank you so much for, um, for that powerful message. I know we all really appreciated that. Um, I think before we go to the questions, let's, let's go over the polls. Are you good with that? Just the answer so we can all know um, yep that we were choosing if we chose the right answer. Um, so the first poll that you gave was, what do you think is God's purpose for giving us the three angels' messages? Now we had um, the, the overwhelming majority chose option three to steal or to seal the 144,000 God's remnant people. We did have an answer for number one, the first option to emphasize the importance of angelic involvement. So do you have any comments about that? Well, I have no comments. I think um, in the message I just gave that it was very clear that it, yeah. is, to, it is to seal God's people with the, with the seal of the living God. 
Nevertheless, that, that first uh, one that someone answered, th there is a certainly a degree of truth there as well. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good to know that, um, yeah, that, that was certainly clarified in the message and, and most people got that one right. Um, so why do SDAs emphasize the three angels' messages more than other Bible truths? And I, of course, you touched on this as well. Um, most people um, opted for number one, what the three angels of Revelation 14 proclaim is present truth. And we did have a few answers for the last one. The three angels' messages are the messages that will be given by the 144,000. Um, so that's... Um, that and then what do you think is holding up the second coming of Christ there the only answer that was chosen was God's people are not sealed so that was a hundred percent on that one mm -hmm. um what is righteousness by faith um again all of the above was the 100 percent um chose that answer and the last question what does the latter rain accomplish how many of the choices below are true and um we had the majority choose number one, the latter rain empowers God's people to witness to the world, and a few choosing the second option, the latter rain um, ripens the harvest. So, um, they're both any, true. yeah, so good, good job. Um, all you who are viewing, um, do you have any comments on the polls? Or are those answers surprising at all or uh, fairly no. standard? It helps me to see that God's people are. Are not in the dark they they know what they're you know what they are about we know what we are about and i can praise the lord for that it still remains to be um to be developed that we have a hunger and a thirst for the righteousness of christ more than we have today yeah absolutely all right well we have one question coming in here from um is isela moose quiz i'm not sure if i'm saying that name right probably not but she is wondering if um, in the end time trouble or time of trouble and suffering, is it extended longer because we're not ready? Um, yeah, I think that's what her question is, is, is it going to be extended if, and because we're not ready? Um, no, I don't see it that way. I think that time of trouble, whether it has started yet or not, I, we have enough trouble <laughs> for sure. But the, the true time of trouble, the big time of trouble, will not be extended because uh, the reason there is no time of trouble is uh, that the Lord is holding back all the winds of strife, all the trouble. He's holding back until God's people are fully ready. And so at that point, the time of trouble can come. And so I don't think it will be longer than it was ever meant to be. Yeah. yeah. And I just want to point out to all the viewers, it's not too late to um, continue adding your questions here on the chat because we want to answer them. And so this is the time to do that. Um, so another question is, um, you talk about how you think that the number of people who even understand the three angels message or kind of understand the impact, um, the number of Adventists is probably quite, quite low, unfortunately. So mm -hmm. how would you suggest that we spread this message and we, we get the word out? How do we share this? Um, practically to others. Well, I'm I'm very impressed. Uh, I'm uh, how should I say? I'm really blessed by the fact that ASI has decided to uh, focus on the three angels' messages. I don't know exactly how that came to be. It's a wonderful thing, and uh, I think ASI has a wide girth as far as influence is concerned in the world. But of course, 
ASI doesn't reach 21 million people. And so it, it seems to me that the only way that this message is going to go the way it's supposed to be uh, is, is going to be through the church at large. And how is the church at large going to know all of this? <laughs> I don't know. I suppose it's going to start slowly with a few people really on fire and the thing will grow and grow and grow and grow. I sure hope it doesn't take too long. And I don't suppose it will once the fire starts, it, it, will, it will expand. Yeah. But exactly the mechanics of it, I tell you, I wish I knew. Yeah. So if, if um, there is someone who's wanting to learn more about the Three Angels messages and kind of what you touched on today, are there any resources that you can direct people to? Well, the spirit of prophecy is full of resources. There's no doubt in my mind that different people have, um, have written uh, and given material on this all over the place. I, okay. I, um, you know, I don't think any other denominations speak very much about the three angels' messages. So there's not much of a chance of, of falling into a lot of deception here because other denominations don't speak about this. So I, I would go to Amazon. I would go everywhere where books are sold and, mm. and find, find, try to find help and books from there. But in the end, really, truly, the spirit of prophecy is the go-to for understanding the, the three angels' messages. Nobody else in the world seemed to understand it very well, but seventh-day Adventists. Yeah, yeah, that is, it, it is an interesting um, thing that it doesn't seem to be discussed a lot or even at all in other denominations. Um, do you yeah. think there is any reason for that? Is it because it's just maybe confusing or we just happen to have been blessed with Ellen White and having some of this truth? Um, what, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, yes, of course. Um, Ellen White, if we didn't have Ellen White, we would be as much in the dark as the other denominations are. There's no doubt about it. But the truth is they are in the dark. They are in the dark about the book of Revelation. They seem to think that the book of Re Revelation is a sealed book that you can't understand it. It makes no sense. And it's amazing to me that it makes no sense to them, but it's the truth because the spirit of God is not there guiding them. So because the three angels' messages are found in the book of Revelation, and what are you going to do, you know? Um, they don't read the book of Revelation. And I don't know, if, even if you read the book of Revelation, if you would separate out these three angels and say, ah, this is a special message. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been a Seventh-day Adventist for 45 years, and I tell you, it's only in the last 10 years or less that I'm getting a grasp on the importance of the three angels' messages. So it's hard to blame other people who don't have the spirit of prophecy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's an incredible blessing to have that as a resource, as a huge resource. And I think um, that's something that Adventists should be taking advantage of more because I think it's one of those things that we sort of take for granted. Amen. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so we're, we're wrapping up here. I don't see any more questions coming through, but do you have any final thoughts, final comments? I mean, we still have a, a few more minutes here. So any final parting words that you would like to share with everyone here today? Well, you know, I, I don't know if I haven't already all said it, but it seems to me that uh, we need to become more serious. If you look at the pandemic that we're facing, the financial disaster that is, that is obvious and it's going to leave us pretty crippled very soon. 
if we look at all that's happening in the world today, don't, don't we realize that it is now that we need to get ready? I tell you what, if we cannot get on our knees and plead with God for the latter rain and, and for the ceiling, then we're not going to have it. And obviously up until now, we haven't had it either. So it's time. It's time for people to wake up and get serious with God. That's all that I can say. This is what it was all about. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, we just had one more comment come through while you were chatting um, and talking. Mm -hmm. And it was mentioning kind of the, the going off what we were talking about, the book of Revelation and how, you know, people go through it and they might not understand what they're reading or, you know, a lot of people don't understand. And the comment was mentioning that so many Christians are afraid of the book of Revelation. Um, do you have any thoughts as far as if for someone who genuinely wants to understand the book of Revelation, um, I, I know we talked about the, the spirit of prophecy, but how would you suggest maybe going through and studying that book because it is so important and kind of um, getting rid of some of that fear that surrounds the book? Well, let me tell you, I grew up in a Catholic home. And when I began to read the Bible, I refused to go to priest or pastor or Jehovah Witness or Presbyterian or anybody. I got on my knees and I said to God, listen, um, I can't trust them out there. They all think they have the truth. I'm not smart enough to determine who has the truth, who hasn't. I said to God, if you will teach me anything you will teach me, I will do it. I'll read the Bible. What I understand, I will do. And the Lord led me to the Sabbath, the state of the dead, tithing, spirit of prophecies, true church, everything. And when I got to the Seventh-day Adventist church, everything he had taught me was there. I didn't have to change a thing. God was teaching me individually. Well, I think that would be the only answer to studying the book of Revelation. We need to get on our knees and say, Lord, you know what you want me to understand? Open my mind. I'm ready to understand. And then don't get discouraged. Just keep going and going and going and going. And 10 months yeah. later... And years later, who knows what, you will understand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, I'm seeing comments here that, that I, people are agreeing that's absolutely the right approach. And I think that um, a lot of people, I mean, myself included, the patience issue, you know, struggling with patience and, and waiting for that um, kind right. of the, the spirit to guide. So I think that's that's excellent. Well, thank you so much for, um, for joining us today. I know we all really, really appreciated the message. So um, it's a huge blessing to have you here. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Christy. I really appreciate you and the, uh, the honor it's been to be asked to speak at 3ABN. I mean, AS <laughs> well, slash 3ABN, yeah, <laughs> that's fair. It's an honor to me. Uh, it's a pile of stress, but I'll do it again if you should ask again. God bless you. All right, for sure. Could you All right. Prayer, do you think? Yes, please. Yes, let's do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us this morning and for um, your help that I needed this morning. Lord, we love you. We understand you're waiting for us. Thank you for holding back the winds of strife. Now we pray, send us latter rain. We need the latter rain. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org.
or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.